Welcome to episode 51 of the Men Who Save Football and Dock FC fancast. I was going to make a, an effort, gentlemen, to be more positive this week, regardless, after Monday's moan fest, regardless of the result. But the lads made it a lot easier for me to be positive because that was a pretty decent display and an even better result. Well, Ken, you asked me last week, you said, was the, the victory over Rovers the sign of a turning point? And I said that I think it suits us better to play footballing sides like Shamrock Rovers and St. Patrick's Athletic than it does to play the high intensity teams like Bohemians, Sligo Rovers, Finn Harps, etc. And I think nothing we have seen in the past seven days has convinced me otherwise. Uh, now, I think tonight's performance was uh, a fantastic show of effort. Like I, I, any complaint that we had you know, recently about whether the team was working hard or not, like tonight they absolutely worked their socks off, one to 11, and all of the substitutes who, who came on afterwards. Um, I do think that we ceded possession an unbelievable amount to, to Pats. Like, uh, I'm not sure what the possession stats were at the end of that game, but I'd be surprised if we had like 30% possession in that game. It was a backs to the wall performance for large parts of it. Like the likes of Paddy Barrett, Sambone, like central defenders for St. Patrick's Athletic were frequently playing like 10 yards into the Dundalk half. Uh, there was no effort to sort of, uh, I'd say, dispossess them in any way. Like we sat super deep. Uh, but it was very effective. Like, Pats could not break us down. Uh, we did the job, got a goal on the break. Uh, to begin with, that put us in a comfortable position. Um, and then we got the second goal, and we were cruising. Uh, I was a little bit worried when Ronan Coughlin came on for them. Uh, I thought in the first, you know, five, ten minutes that he played, he really threatened to, to open us up a couple of times. Uh, and then I don't know whether it was a technical switch or... Uh, maybe he just wasn't as effective like after that, but uh, you know we, we really sort of put a lid on that. I thought Andy Boyle was absolutely superb. Like I thought he put in a man of the match performance, some outrageous blocks uh, to really prevent what I think otherwise would have been certain goals, uh, and I think some really good organisation of people around him as well. So like I say, ten out of ten for effort. I wasn't a huge fan of the style. Like I do feel a bit like Alan Hansen here <laughs> complaining again about what's going on. But like you cannot complain about the the quality of the defending in between, and you know after the the result on Monday night, to a degree I can kind of understand that approach, right? You know the the team needed to, you know, put in a shift and get a result, and that's exactly what we got. Yeah, I mean I find hard to argue with any of that. I think the first and foremost thing was that three points was the most important thing, and I'd have taken it by any means necessary. I'd have watched the worst performance in history to have gotten the three points but I do also think as everyone said I think it was a hell of a shift put in by everyone I think Pats definitely had more of the ball Pats were more in control Pats looked like the better side and I think the table confirms that I mean we definitely looked like the, the lesser side of the underdogs I wouldn't say it was a back to the wall game because I don't think they really worried us that much that's not what I would call backs to the wall but they definitely uh, had a lot of the ball especially in the first half as well a lot of it was played in our half but I don't think it was then that real pressure down the end. But then again, someone like Andy Boyle made, you know, uh, made it so it wasn't that much that much pressure. Because you know, from a goal goalkeeping point of view, we're not having the greatest season, and that's an extreme weak point. But Andy, I think, and others stepped up uh, to really, really make it feel that, it, especially in the second half, like after the after the second goal. I would have said that's three points. You know, sometimes even with Dundalk, 
you know, with two points, but when you're the dark fan, you think, well, that could go, you know. I mean, I've after some of the performances we've seen this season and after Monday, I thought, Jesus, but I don't I never felt like that was that was at risk. Um I think the one of the things about last Friday was I think that the effort put in and then that evaporated on Monday. And I think one thing we could talk about later tonight was why has the last seven days been so insanely different to go from Friday to Friday with that mad result on Monday. What, what What's the difference? But I think that uh, we were really composed. I think the effort put in by everyone was, was really... Uh, I think uh, Boyle was the best player. I also think uh, like the addition of Hoban, I think, really did help things as well. I think the return of Hoban. Um, and I think... Everyone gave their all. Um, like everything this season, I don't, don't think it was the most amazing performance. Definitely didn't have most of the ball. Definitely wasn't the barnstorming the dog we know uh, of the past. But given Monday, I'd have taken three points by any means necessary. But on top of that, I was certainly, you know, it was, it was a nice game to watch. It was entertaining. And after the goal, I really felt like that's it. That's three points in the bag. Yeah, I felt like that too. I know what Martin's saying about it being a back to the wall performance and the style wasn't good to, to, to watch. But unlike other weeks where you watch Dundalk and we go we go a goal down and you go, well, that's it. That's three points lost. We're not even coming back from this. It, it was actually quite funny. It was the opposite tonight. It was like, you know, we went a goal up and even though Pats were playing much better possession-based football and we were backs to the wall, we never looked like conceding, which is phenomenal when you think of you know who's in goal the, the back four were absolutely amazing I mean it was it was really really it was something else to, to watch because Pats had everything but had nothing when it came to came to the final final push and uh, you know I, I actually really enjoyed it. I'd say as a neutral um people would have enjoyed it as well um great game great performance dug in very very well full effort and like as you said Rory when you think of like what happened Monday and then what happened tonight and what happened last Friday night, it's like it's crazy stuff. Um, but uh, it is what it is. It's Dundalk FC. Kind of agree with much of what you said. I'd say what what's fascinating is I suppose the morale of fans must have been pretty low after Monday, and very few would have backed a clean sheet and a relatively comfortable victory. And when I say comfortable, I I mean like yeah, you have to acknowledge that you know the. For me, the rhythm of the game was a very frenetic and energetic opening first 15 minutes. And I think that was encouraging because one of the complaints we've had from the first series of games in the season was the sort of lethargy and the lack of energy in the team. But that was not there tonight. We were really, you know, at it. There was a lot of uh, pressing and movement. And although we weren't keeping the ball perhaps as well as you might have liked to, to, to see us, we, we were chasing and pressing to get it back. And we were putting together some nice passages of play. So uh, it was entertaining in that opening 10, 15 minutes. But you remember, like, we did have that opening two or three minutes in Daily Mount Park, which was somewhat similar before we then got hit with two sucker punches. But after that, I think St. Pat's probably began to dominate possession and they began to get a series of half chances and corner kicks, put us under a little bit of pressure. Around about 25 to half an hour, 25 minutes, half an hour gone, it kind of looked like maybe there was a goal coming for Pats. And then, rather like we did against Shamrock Rovers, we hit them on the break. And we can probably see a pattern there, as Martin has said. When we set up to absorb possession, soak up pressure, and then we spring on the break, 
it's proven to be quite potent. And I know we got quite a bit of good fortune with McMillan's shot, which was off target, being directed by Bone into the bag of his own net. But, I mean, it was probably a shot that had to be dealt with. And I think that probably demoralized Pats quite a bit because they were the team in the ascendancy and then suddenly you get knocked back uh, on your heels by that goal. And then we managed to see it out till half time, and that probably built a little bit more confidence. So you can probably tell that with this Dundalk's side right now, confidence is probably so fragile that we really need to get the first goal. And if we get the first goal, it seems to activate all the old memories of knowing how to manage a game and how to kind of pursue the win. And and certainly when we got the second goal, which was a really well-worked move, great centre from Patrick Hoban and a great uh, finish from David McMillan, you did begin to feel that, you know, we were well capable of seeing this out. And although St. Pat's probably, well, not probably, definitely had the lion's share of possession thereafter, they never really had us on the ropes. Like, they did have half chances. Uh, they did have quite a series of corner kicks. And, you know, the ball did bobble around the box a few times. But what was peculiar to see and very gratifying to see was that you know players who had kind of looked you know zombie-like on Monday evening were seemingly rolling back the years and back to their best I mean I think everybody thinks Andy Boyle had a tremendous game like that was vintage Andy Boyle really really great uh you know courageous um center half performance Paul McGrath stuff as as somebody said on Twitter but in addition to that the whole defensive unit functioned I think Val did really well at left back and we probably have to begin to keep an eye on Val because he is looking a really good prospect he seems to have strength he seems to have pace he seems to have a decent ability on the ball to find other players and he looked very much at home against Billy King and John Mountney um and unable to kind of deal with a lot of the threats that that they presented uh it was actually Ravis who probably had more to do as an awful lot came down his side of the pitch in the in the first half but looking across the defense you know Chris Shields once again had a good game we were solid as a unit but not only that everybody else was sort of you know working very very hard to shore up the defense I thought Greg Sloggett you know put his body on the line several times and we've seen Greg in his natural position with Chris once again moving back into the back line and you get a sense of kind of just how good Greg can be when played in that in that defensive midfield role. And we probably saw, again, the qualities of Sam Stanton more evident than we have in any previous game. Once again, the team looked a little bit more balanced. Once again, we had a proper number six, even though he's technically a number 10. And then we had Stanton just in advance of him and McElhenney then. It, it was more of a 4-4-2. Of course, we... We've very rarely seen Hoban and McMillan play together, but when you've got two strikers of such quality, why wouldn't you give that a try? And it seemed to work better tonight. And Patrick McElhenney was a lot more energetic and involved in the game in that first half as well. And we know what he can do when he's on the ball. So really the, the kind of remarkable thing was, um, yeah, we had to do a lot of running and chasing and we were out of possession for uh, the majority of the game. But the level of effort the energy expended was really, really heartening from a team that, you know, would have had every reason to be thoroughly demoralized. There seemed to be a spark there of the old Dundalk and what these players are capable of. Yeah, I think credit has to be due then to, uh, we've been highly critical of Jim Jilton, but I think the team were set out really good. I think the balance is a great word there. They, they felt really balanced. 
Um, I also thought, I thought Val had a great game as well. I've been impressed every time I've seen him. Um, but I think that's the perfect word for it, which is balance. And I think everyone played their role. Um, and that's probably why we weren't overwhelmed. Um, because after Monday, I mean, as you said, I think, I think a lot of Dundalk fans expected a loss. Let's face it. And you're going away to Pats, who are one of the better teams in the league. We're coming off an absolute trashing. Morale at every level of the club is rock bottom. And we put in a really uh, comprehensive performance. But I think it's because the team was balanced and everyone did their job and everyone knew where everyone else was. And credit was credit due. They, I think they were they were put out well to, to play. And to see Hoban and McMillan playing together... Uh, and the fact that they linked up for the goal is great because it's, it's such a rarity. And to see the two of them link up for, for the goal, and it was such a lovely move as well, uh, shows, you know, there are signs there because we've said since the start that the talent is there. We've always said that the talent is there. It's just the system has never seemed right. Um, and tonight we saw that if they play together uh, well, because here's the other thing. It's not that we played... Pats who were off form. I thought Pats played well. You know what I mean? But we were better. Yeah, I think we've been very critical a couple of times of the way that the team's been set out. Uh, and so I think this week we've got to give due credit that uh, they looked really well organized. They look fit. They look very determined. Uh, and, you know, both the, the players and the coaching staff, I can only imagine, did an excellent job during the course of the week in preparing for this game. And I think. Something that's sprang to mind, we'll, we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but, you know, not only, I suppose, do we have Jim Milton sort of slotting in as uh, as the, the team coach at the moment, even though it's a, a job that he did not apply for and apparently did not want. Uh, but, you know, we've also lost a, a selection of people who were providing like opposition analysis, you know, uh, coaching with, with previous, you know, managers or shadow coaches or whoever they were. Uh, but like, there's really been nobody to fill that void in the meantime exception um but whatever has happened like over the the course of this week like it seems that the order has been restored uh, and i don't know if that's the players stepping up or like the the coaches and, and people behind the scenes doing a little bit more but uh the, it definitely looked right this time i would i would say i mean like, first of all talking about val tonight val was exceptional and i said this earlier on I, i'm going to attribute that our first goal to Val because I think that he was he was immense down that left side. If he wasn't that good in the defence on the left side, that break would never have happened, and most likely we either would have conceded or we would have had to build from the back from from a goal kick or whatever the case was. So I'm I'm attributing that first goal to Val, and he is he was exceptional tonight and exceptional every time I've seen him as well. And then just on your last point, Martin. It's amazing because I thought the exact same after the Shamrock Rovers game. And I listened to Jim and Jilton saying that they that they worked and they organised and they put a game plan in, in place to um to play Shamrock Rovers and we bet them. And then we like we we turned around a complete different performance from one night again um tonight. And I'm not gonna be negative, this I'm gonna be very, very positive. I mean, it looks like like they can work within extremely short periods and get a game plan together. I'm not just like an any old game plan. I'm talking about a winning game plan, whether the style is good or whether the style is bad, but three points are put in the bag. And I have to agree with you, the potential is there. I've heard some people on, on I've read some people on social media saying like there's no talent, like it's this and it's that. That's absolute nonsense. That's that's it's that's rubbish. Like that team, them players are fantastic, fantastic players. And I don't think you're right. I don't think we have given 
Jim has got them um, enough credit when credit is due. And tonight it's due because obviously they worked and they worked really, really hard this week put in a performance like that because that you don't just be lucky. Okay, Pat's had a lot of possession, right? but you, you don't just be lucky and come away with three points. You have to have a cohesive um, structure in place um, to get the three points. Yeah, and one thing on that, just to echo it one last time, is we've been critical of Jim Magilton. And I think tonight we've said, listen, the team was set out well. But also, I think on Monday night, you know, we set out a defence of the players because I think the players came under a lot of criticism, okay? But I think the people who were criticising the players and saying, you know, they need to show up, I think they showed up tonight. So I think that also has to be recognised. I think that the manager showed up because... The, the team was set out well. But I then think you can only ever set out the team onto the pitch and then they have to do the rest. But if people on Monday, and I, I think we were right on Monday to say what we said about kind of defending the players in the current situation they're in. But if fans were demanding a performance from them, I think they saw it tonight. Just to turn to Twitter, you know, there seems to be, that seems to be the sentiment. Uh, if we go to Sean Cotter, he says, uh, Boiler's best game since his return. I think that's undoubtedly true. Uh, Chris was immense. Stanton at times looked quality. Need to get him more involved. On the flip side, it helped that Pats were completely toothless. And probably they did miss somebody who represented a genuine uh, goal threat up front. Pats, like many sides in the league, they illustrate just how uh, how rare really potent strikers are. I mean, they you know they look perfectly functional in defence and midfield. But, you know, where, where is their Patrick Oban? Where is their David McMillan? They don't really have a centre forward that would, you know, give many defences um, nightmares. Uh, moving on to another couple of quotes um, from Twitter. Uh, Rory Gilson has said that the original stepped up and led by example. She Shields, Hoban and Boyle, superb, ably supported by McElhenney and McMillan. Hard work is the minimum and it was there in spades tonight. We desperately need a keeper, though. Yeah, still doubts over Elysio there, but I was I was delighted just on a personal note, like like we mentioned last week, from the human angle, uh, that he did get the clean sheet tonight. Uh, obviously, he is adjusting to a very different style of play, and he was put under a lot of pressure with a lot of what a lot of crosses and corners aimed in directly at him. Uh, but between himself and the efforts of the back uh, four, managed to keep a clean sheet. It may be the manager has spoken about strengthening in that area. I think that probably would be good for Alicio as well, not to be quite so exposed in that position, and Peter as well. I would say then, to get a clean sheet under the circumstances and after Monday, everyone has to play their part. So the defence played their part, but listen, they can only do so much, but they, you know, the keeper has to you know, back them up. So I think a defence is actually the four defenders and the keeper. And they all played their part, and Abibi played his part as well. So, a clean sheet doesn't come only off the backs of uh, Andy Boyle. Uh, so, I think um, he can be proud of that clean sheet against one of the league's higher flying teams. Um, and I think we need it as a boost. Uh, you know, the whole team would need that. The, the club needs it. The fans need it. So, um, Evan has their part to play, and tonight he played his part. Do you think tonight? it was important to have that morale boost going into the break so that maybe the team can be galvanised for the second half of the season. And, of course, looking to the longer term, you know, there are players that many fans will want to see maintained in the current squad and they've been this week linked in the papers to moves elsewhere. 
Um, so you think it's it's kind of uh, important not to go into the break on a downer? A hundred percent. But I, I think the first thing was we just simply had to win after Monday. Uh, by any means, we had to win. Um, but to win in the style we did and to kind of almost maybe cap off the week, which started last Friday with a great result, which was kind of eclipsed after what happened on Monday. So the seven days were actually good, if you think about it, given that there was that black hole in the middle. But I think it was, first of all, most importantly, just to win. But then the nature of the win was built off the back of long-term Dundalk players playing together the way we remember, performances that we remember, and people who there's been chat about, talk about, and um, putting in great performances. And again, I would say um, uh, Pat Oban, Chris Shields, I thought were really good tonight. And they have players, they are players who, you know, talk has been circling around them. Um, I've no idea what the situation there is, but to see the heart of that team that we remember and um, playing so well tonight, who knows? The only, my only problem is exactly this time last week, we were talking about a jumping off uh, board. We were talking about uh, a springboard um, the exact same time last week. And then that springboard collapsed underneath us and they fell into the, uh, 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 fell to earth. Um, but all we can say is let's go again. But I thought um, the nature of the performance would give me hope, but uh, I mean, changes definitely have to come, and I would like to see some changes. And I definitely think that this Dundalk team needs a bit patching up. But um, the one thing we would say is that the the hope is that one of the things we've said is that the, the talent is there; it just doesn't seem to be able to be unlocked. But in the last seven days, leaving aside a certain extreme blip, we did see that when the talent clicks, we can get the performances we want. Yeah, just returning to Twitter for a moment, uh, Damien McGee is saying six points from three games, we would have taken that beforehand, and we probably would have. I mean, uh, beating Shamrock Rovers and St. Patrick's Athletic, if only we could play teams at the top of the table all the time, it looks like we'd be fine. Um, other comment, uh, Brian Dunn has said, solid at the back, but that was the height of it. Still no shape to that team. Was never a 2-0 winning performance, but you take any kind of win at this stage. I don't know about that. I, th I think the shape tonight was pretty good. Going back to a more conventional 4-4-2 seemed to make. I thought the substitutions were the right substitutions at the right time. Uh, when Pats were dominating possession almost entirely, we brought on an extra midfielder in Sean Murray, withdrew one of the forwards. And then I think when we were more about hitting them on the break, that's when Daniel Kelly kind of came in. So I think... We know the players who can make a contribution within the squad, and uh, they seem to be deployed, you know, pretty effectively tonight. And I think everybody um, to see Daniel Kelly sort of chasing down the Pat's back line in possession, you know, in injury time, just kind of showed that everybody did put in a shift and do their bit. Uh, Colin Mullen says, "Strange game, great result in a clean sheet, but didn't play brilliantly defensively. We were really good, especially Boyle and Val." Um, our consistency, our inconsistency is the most frustrating thing, but hopefully turning around the corner, uh, perhaps the break is coming at the wrong time for us. Well, once again, uh, it's better to go into the break with a win and perhaps a realization dawning that maybe we, we are capable of more than we've delivered so far. Uh, Kevin Mullen has said a uh, great result from, from the three games this week, something to build on. Uh, Hoban made a huge difference to the team. Great reaction from the Bulls game. 
no reason we can't go on and charge up the table as it's a relatively poor league this year. And that is something to observe. If we look at the table, we see that we're sort of in a in a pack, really, that constitutes the middle of the table. There's only one point in the difference between fifth position and uh, eighth position right now. So we're in the mix. And I mean, three or four wins over those opponents and you could find yourself on the verge of a Europeans place so you know the season is by no means over yet we do have the spark of reasons for optimism after tonight's win and once again if you can beat Shamrock Rovers and Pats who would have went second tonight if they had a one but then there's no reason why you can't beat anybody else in this league on our day and perhaps the reason that we have underperformed is that we had good players who were just really poorly prepared for the season with the very, very few games that we had in pre-season and also the the, the, the late arrivals. Uh, but tonight, we looked every bit, you know, uh, we, I, I think we looked worthy of the win, although we didn't have the lion's share of possession. This is from Robert Kelly. Everybody grafted really hard tonight and it showed on the result. Well done to all. So a much different mood from Monday night. How far do you think this optimism can carry us? I love football for this reason. Like on Monday night, it's like doom and gloom. Forget about it. You know, clear them all out. We'll start again next season and we hope that we sign the right players. Come Friday night, as you rightly said, Kenny, you beat some Pats and you beat Shamrock Rovers. And why aren't we, you know, capable to be in, in, in the mix? Um, I don't agree that we that we played poorly tonight. I really don't. I think we were set out that way. And I think that we were set out... Um, and that's what I found was, was interesting tonight. We were set out tonight. It wasn't just by the seat of our pants that we won 2-0. We soaked up the pressure. We were phenomenal in the back four. And we we put in we put in two goals. That'd be almost that was um was an OG. And I suppose like looking towards the rest of the season, we get a break and we come back in after the break. There's no reason why we can't push up, up the table. I think like all the talk of the clear out um from, from Jim Magilton during the week, I just think that was his frustration and his annoyance like at, at the result on, on Monday night because like Pat Hoogan was so hungry tonight. Um he yeah, he was phenomenal and he was he played great with, with David McMillan. It was the first time I actually seen him, you know, playing up front and not having to drop as deep back to, to retrieve the ball. You know, even though we were quite defensive tonight, but when we were when we attacked, we attacked with sting. Well, let me say that the, the next four games we've got coming up in the league, Waterford, Longford, Drotta, and Derry. So I said at the very top of the show, like the jury is still out on our ability to play against these kinds of teams and get a result. Uh, and so I think that's the, the critical part. Like uh, Waterford, okay, they're on a, a a big downer at the moment. So you, you would probably expect us in almost any circumstances to get three points there. But, you know, Longford, Drogheda and Derry, I think are going to pose a, a stiffer challenge to us. And like I say, the teams that can bring that sort of intensity that we seem to find really difficult to deal with. Uh, if we can get, you know, six, maybe even nine points against those teams, I think then that is sort of laying down a, a marker and, you know, bringing the kind of confidence to say, okay, we can beat Shamrock Rovers, we can beat Pats, but now we can also beat these teams too. Like, I think that is is where this team needs to go. Um, and like I say, it, it's up to them to prove they can do that, but I think that is the test. Uh, and I'm going to sit in the fence until then on Wednesday. It is a cycle of games which you would think we should get something out of. You know, we don't, we don't have the excuse of cobwebs from that, very short pre-season and once again it's hard to talk about form because our form is so erratic but we played three teams well 
three teams which are below us in the table and some of them are struggling quite badly. And then we have the local derby against Drogheda with the confidence of the win from earlier in the season. So you would hope from those 12 points, I mean, you know, nine would be a great return and it should see us move from that stubborn seventh position back into maybe getting an eye at, at those um, at those European spots. Um, but I suppose given, you know, the con- lack of consistency, we, we we really don't know what what uh, Dundalk FC will turn up from week to week. But I mean, tonight, uh, if that sort of form and performance could be made consistent, and particularly that sort of result, um, well, then we may yet uh, we may yet get back into contention for those European spots. One thing, of course, that would probably make the team more consistent would be the appointment of a full time manager. Uh, but despite massive speculation uh, from week to week. We don't seem to be any closer to any white smoke on that. Would that concern you? Do you expect that to be sorted out during the break? Or do you think it's an indication that there might be more going on in the background at the club? Um, I think we talked about this before recently, and I think the, on Monday the, the lack of a manager should be brought into focus as the current like you know, thing to be addressed. Um, however, tonight, Magilton set out the team, I think, correctly. I saw something on, on Twitter, the suggestion that Magilton might hang around till the European run. I, I don't mean hang around as in stay in the position till the European run, maybe as some kind of just steadying a ship thing. So I did see one tweet suggesting that the, the, the word is that Magilton is going to stay put in the position, at least until Europe. Maybe they reckon... And there's a bit of credence to this, that it's a very odd time to bring in a new manager because we're on the cusp of starting our European campaign, which is a whole other conversation. Um, and there is a, a transfer window to deal with. And is this the right time to bring in someone new? Because it's, you know, things need to be done imminently. I know there's a break, but there's a... European campaign and transfers to come. And can you handle that as well as get someone brand new to the job? So um, potentially the, the the best thing is to just keep the ship steady for now. I don't know. Okay. But um, I still think addressing the manager position is, is, is our priority. But there could be a case to say, Let's just keep it rolling for now. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. And I'm going to go back to something that I said earlier. I was thinking about this earlier in the week in the context of all the speculation around Vinnie Perth. And I was thinking about, you know, Vinnie coming back to the club and what had changed in the meantime. And so, like, during his previous tenure, he had Ruby Higgins at his side. He had John Gill at his side. Uh, for a while, we had Alan Reynolds, uh, Reynolds in there as well. Uh, we had Stephen O'Donnell, at opposition analyst, and then later Shane Keegan. Uh, and so like there was a whole collection of people to, to help him try to be effective in the job. I was thinking if he, he was to come back in right now, none of those people are available at the same time. But talking about like the extra, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, the, the differences about running a European campaign at the same time, you've got to be aware that we still don't have anybody doing these jobs uh, at the moment domestically. Uh, and it's going to be even worse in Europe. Like, do we expect Jim to, you know, sort of fly off to, I don't know, Croatia to observe somebody like playing on a Thursday night and then be back for a game on the Friday night or something like that? Like, that's that's not realistic. So I think 
not only does the club have to you know find and appoint uh, a manager it also has to you know find and appoint all of the staff that come along with that and i think if anything maybe that's the more urgent need because you know with these positions going to fill i find it puts more pressure on Jim Midgelton, like I say, doing this job on a temporary basis to do even more. And at some stage, like there, there's only so much you can do. That's the bit that scares me, like Martin, like if the club to look for the other people to, to do them jobs, because the way things have been happening in Oriel, that seems to be the way it is. You know, somebody else appointing um, people to positions or signing players. And that's the bit that worries me because surely we should be looking for a manager to come in and say, I'm the manager and I'm going to assemble the team. Same way as Kenny did it and the same way as Vinny did it. They assemble the team around them because they know the people who are good at doing what they do. And that's what I'd be worried about. I'd be worried that that we, we'd, we'd end up, you know, with appointments all over the place and they don't fit. It, it's like a it's like five jigsaws been thrown together hoping that it'll make up a picture and it won't because that's basically the way it's ha happened up, up until now. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting one about, you said Rory there, but, you know, you read on Twitter about keeping keeping Jim, you know, at uh, steering the ship as we as we head into Europe, um, and I, I think there is some credence in that. I, I I really do. I think that you know now that we've seen he has a say he was able to assemble, assemble tactics for the Rovers win and the and the, the Pats win. Obviously, we have a major blip with, with the Bulls win. So you know maybe maybe he he should stay there, um, you know, for for the time being. But then. We also then run into the other scenario. We appoint somebody. It's a it's a manager from wherever within the league, whether it's in the in the Irish league or from wherever it is, and then we don't do well in our in our in Europe, and we all go. But you had no European experience. What did we expect? So like, there's a there's there's a complete another you know problem. I think you know with with the, the appointment of like even if you appoint appoint you know even if Finney does come back, and I, I personally. I would absolutely have, have no issue if Finney was coming back and if Finney came back as the manager with complete control over the first team, you know, but, um, you know, going into Europe then, you know, if things don't go right, that's, this is where the wheels fell off the last time, you know, that kind of way. So, you know, we're back at the square one situation again. So it, it's really, really hard. It's like tarot card stuff. What's our expectation though in the in Europe this year, Damien? Uh, I would say like my expectations like in the league at the moment are fairly low. So I don't know, like what's yours for the, the European campaign? This is the mad thing. And I would not be surprised if this team goes on a run in Europe. Because the, as we've said, as I've said, we've all said that this team has quality. And it seems, as you said, Martin, to be able to grind out or not even grind out, get the results against those teams of the same, you know, uh, same or above standard as us. So bring in teams that are a little bit above that again, because we're in that conference kind of stuff. I think, I mean, to answer your question, I think that, uh, you know, aspirations for Europe you know, a good run, whatever that means within this competition. But I certainly don't expect us to uh, to turn up and be, you know, to, to, to face the old League of Ireland drubbings that would have been pre-Kenny. Well, we did see last year some really, really very, very ordinary league form in, interposed with some kind of pretty decent European game. So perhaps, you know, who knows that Dundalk might be capable of that. Although I think when we worry about playing Finn Harps, you would think European aspirations are perhaps um, are perhaps a bit unrealistic, but it's just so hard to tell, uh, given 
you know, the inconsistency of this Dundalk team from week to week, they're certainly giving us, even though, you know, it's a very disappointing season, it's a very interesting season because you just don't know what's going to happen from week to week. But on the topic of a manager, there is work that needs to be done there and there is decisions that need to be made. I mean, we're now halfway through the season and we possibly have half a dozen members of the squad uh, and we never single anybody out here, but we, we know that, you know, Basically, we've been cycling through players looking for something that functions, but about half a dozen members of the squad have got very, very limited game time, perhaps one substitute appearance, really not getting near, uh, not getting near making contribution to the first team. Now, with sort of the costs and the, you know, the potential not to actually get a European qualifying place this season, you know, probably the squad is too big. It, it ter- probably has players in it who really aren't going to make a contribution or get an opportunity. And a manager would probably come in and say, right, I need to begin to trim here and I need to plan for next season. But if we don't have somebody in that position, um, you know, uh, we, we, we can drift along. Now, maybe Jim Majulton is going to begin to make those sort of decisions. He probably has the authority to do it. But like like you like you say, Damien, you know, usually you'd want to see a manager come in with his assistant and his physio and his strength and conditioning coach and assemble his team and and kind of create and build a new uh, a new regime um but i mean there are decisions and they need to be made and the longer we're waiting for a manager um the the longer it will take to sort of begin to address those decisions that obviously need to be made for the squad to be perhaps thinned out and and, and sort of re- refurbished i i think we have seen consistently this season that, you know, it's it's not our long-standing players that really are the issue. I think you know we've we've pretty much seen that the best performance we we've had are from uh, Michael Duffy and Chris Shields and Patrick Hoban and you know the the guys who have been around and have won leagues numerous times. That's not to say they've been at their usual standard, but they've certainly you know not been the element of the team that has been found wanting as regards effort and endeavor um so i suppose what i'm saying in summary is you know there is work for a manager to do at Dundalk fc and the sooner that work starts the better i agree with all that but I, and i think martin made a very good point about the other positions which have been totally decimated by the way like opposition analyst i think like i didn't really think of it that way but usually You'd always read the reports about Rory Higgins or Stephen O'Donnell for that jetting out to look at our opposition, and who is doing that job? You know, we we, we don't know. Um, to go back to you know Martin's question about what do we expect from Europe? Like, I'll be honest with you, this year I would expect nothing. The biggest hope is you just don't get a drubbing. You know, and uh, now I would also say, as people have just mentioned, that especially last year. You know, we have an amazing ability to be extremely mediocre <laughs> domestically and then suddenly switch on this amazing performance on a Thursday and then come around to Sunday and it's it's it's, it's dirge again. But uh, so who knows? I mean, I literally expect nothing at the moment. Um, I just hope for something respectable. Um, but yeah, all those positions need to be filled. And, and in a way, and I... I Listen, I'm all for a new manager, and I'm all for the new right manager. Um, but I, I suppose my point was there's a logic to let's not rock the boat because it's it's imminent. Right? I think these 
the situation transfer window and Europe is imminent and because no one has heard anything I would expect that there's nothing happening anytime soon so how how much time do they have to get in someone get in their staff get them to work with the players before it's European Wednesday or Thursday night um, I think we've run out of road well Right now, and I think we tweeted during the week that you know reporting and speculation around Dundalk has become so frenetic that it's like reading the horoscope, you know, and it's changing from hour to hour, and you don't know quite what to believe. I think we had already this evening uh, speculation that Peak Six were on their way out, followed an hour later by Peak Six are definitely staying. So that's kind of been the tenure, and we've had several managers, you know, more or less hinted as dead certs for the job. But yet that hasn't materialized. And of course, you know, you add to all of that inconsistency uh, and, and uncertainty off the field. And then with the kind of high amplitude of the performances from last Friday to last Monday to this Friday. And I mean, it's just almost impossible to work out what's going to happen from week to week with Dundalk SC right now. Um, so I suppose we, we do get a little bit of respite now. We're, we're going into the season break. And on the 11th of June, we'll be back with that home game against Waterford. And that's a team which you would hope we would, it's, it's impossible really to try and get a pattern to this season. But that's a team that you would hope that we could continue to rebuild some form with. And uh, we'll just have to, um, we'll just have to uh, see how that goes. Had we lost tonight, I was still going to try and give it a positive twist. Find, find the positives so that we didn't go into the mid-season break on a complete downer. One thing that I like, which isn't results related, uh, and despite the sponsor, which I'm not crazy about, I really like the away jersey. I uh, don't know if I mentioned it earlier on, but I, I really like the way that it kind of reconnects with the GNR. And uh, of course, um, you know, uh, not only does it kind of set a nice jersey and it looks pretty good, and we've got some decent results and performances in it, but it's also connected to your dad's history of the club. Yeah, um, so the jersey itself, uh, obviously, uh, if people don't know, it's on the back of the collar, it says JM, which is a reference to Jim Murphy, my dad. And the interesting thing was that um, when last season, um, early on in the season, uh, pre uh, the world pandemic situation, um, uh, the club reached out to me with the idea and were talking to me about it and I knew about it and I gave my blessing on behalf of the family and we were all very excited and um, the interesting thing was uh, the day of my dad's funeral uh, Martin Connolly came up to me at the gravesite and had this mad story which was days before dad died he popped into Oriel Park which he did regularly because he had a photo and he had uh, sent stuff from Martin Connolly because Martin Connolly was um had this uh, idea for the jersey. And so he tapped into Da about it, GNR, obviously as, as the club historian. But Da had the actual receipt for the original GNR jerseys, which this jersey is based off the colours on. He actually had the receipt. So he called into Martin with a photo of the players in the jersey and he had the actual receipt, literally for a company in Belfast to make jerseys, 1920 something, whatever. Um, he had the, the receipt. Handed it in a, in, in, a, in a brown envelope like he used to always do. He used to go into Oreo with a brown envelope with photos of a player or whatever, whatever, whatever. And that was the last time Martin spoke to him. That was literally days before he died. And at the, at the graveside, Martin told me that story. 
um, that he literally handed him this thing. So then the plan for the jersey went ahead, and then COVID happened, and I thought maybe it won't happen. And then obviously the jersey was launched, and we were blown away. The other thing about it was that the the launch of the jersey featured uh, the ad, which has Dad's voice on it. So we're talking about the GNR, which again, just for the family, was uh, absolutely amazing honor. And the other random thing was that uh, the jersey was launched, and the club didn't know this, but the jer- the club picked a day to launch the jersey with Dad on the ad, and it was the one year anniversary of his death to the day, and they had no idea until I told them because they told me this this ad's coming out today, and I was like, do you know what today is? And they're like, what? But um, I know we were like blown away and to see that on the back of the collar is it, it, it's really really like as a family we were just can't, can't get over it and it's something i'll cherish forever and uh, having that jersey um you may want to cut this out but um again i'm not too happy about the sponsor on the front but uh but no no um it's it's it, every time I, I catch a view of the jm on the back it's you know it, it's huge and it, it, it's you talking about positives it does remind you of the community aspect of the club for all that's gone on and for all the stuff which has pulled our attention away um, that the club still has it at its heart. And uh, it's a great you know, throwback to the history of the club. And it was a really, I mean, blown away tribute to dad. The family can't get over it to this day. And it's, as I said, having that jersey for the rest of my life would be a huge honour. And um, especially when they were when they when they win games, <laughs> which is what's most important. Yeah, no, and like you know, not only is it quite aesthetically pleasing, but I I really love the historical connection. And uh, I suppose you know that's that's the thing about our club. Um, we're we're all not only you know emotionally invested in it, but some of us have been for many many generations. And uh, it's always nice to, to see that recognised. And, um, you know, I suppose it was a really good gesture by the club. So, I mean, we have to have to give them some uh, congratulations for that. Um, and, of course, you know, if you're a real Dundalk FC nerd like I am, you know, the, the whole railway heritage thing, I was glad to see that revived because, you know, I've never been dying about the, the nickname the lily whites because it's kind of a little bit bland it's fine and all you know that's the color of the jersey but um our older nickname from previous generations was the railway men and to kind of recognize the origins of the club that explicitly i always thought it had a little bit more romance to it you know it was something that was distinct about dundalk which is now probably lost to current generations because the gnr has gone so long but they're your origins and it's it's nice not to forget them and of course it puts us into a network of sort of global railway based clubs that you know of which there are scores around the world and i'm still kind of discovering new ones um and it's nice to think that not only you know does that connect us to our own roots from the origins of our club but it sort of makes us part of a family of football teams around the world who have the similar railway origins yeah, I think it's great for the, the club to be able to connect itself to the, the people and the, the industries of the town. Like, I, I think at the very least in the, the era that I grew up watching Dundalk, it was it was more about the brewery, uh, that there was such a, a close association, at least in terms of sponsorship between the, the brewery and the club. But it was like readily apparent in, in everything that did. And a great number of people from the brewery who I think were, were very involved with the club as well. Um, but I recall like when uh Rory's dad did one of his books uh I was idly flicking through it one night and uh found a picture of my own father 
long since dead, uh, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, found him in 1958, uh, I think, with the trophy, uh, when it was being paraded around Clark's shoe factory uh, in Dundalk, also long gone. But, you know, I, I suppose that sort of symbolises how, at the time, the club was, you know, sort of, its success was shared with the factory folk of the town. Uh, and like the the trophy itself did it sure not ju uh, just of you know the schools and stuff like that I'm sure but also of like the, the industry that was there uh, I don't know if that like association is sort of present at the moment but it's nice to think that you know it could be again no it's it is actually a lovely throwback like I, I suppose like like many people or many supporters like we might not have realized that a uh, connection with with GNR um, I, I think the, the first away jersey with the pinstripes in with the Stephen Kenny era uh, was my was the first time I realised that we had that throwback to the to the GNR and the railmen. But it's funny you should say that Martin with with, uh, with Clarks. My grandfather worked in Clarks as well, and, and Dundalk used to be such an industrious town, and like was lots and lots of industries, and uh, the the club was always a major you know part of of the centre of the town, the centre of the community. Um, and I love colours of the of of the new away jersey. I just think that they're really, really nice. I know you were saying Rory, about that, you know, people are always going to poke holes about something. And you know, the sponsor this year isn't the sponsor that you know maybe we all wanted. It's the sponsor that we have. Um, but the jersey is a is a thing of beauty. And I would actually go a step further, and I would say that we need to kind of start gradient on a gradient level take the red out of the jersey and replace it with the with the gnr colors because the red comes from nowhere the red was put in there as as a color that was just just there i, I don't ever remember red in when i was sporting dundalk like, like through the, the 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 80s and the 90s like and the red just arrived i think that we could do a reversal on that i think that would be a really really nice fitting tribute not only to to the gnr and your dad um, you know, because of the jersey that it is this year, but I just think that it, it could be actually a right thing to do. Again, we were saying today about, you know, credit where credit's due. We've been highly critical of lots of aspects, but I think that's one of the aspects in the last year, uh, as well as some of the media stuff the club has done as well. I mean, yeah, we can sit here, we can hammer the club on many fronts. Um, but things like that, the jersey, the nature of the jersey, how they presented the jersey, uh, the video, the promotional material, the stuff that Gavin does with the Patreon as well, like we we can get very bogged down in the negativity, but it's not all bad. And I, I, listen, you can compliment the club while still feel that at higher level things need to change. But things like that, the Patreon, the packs they send out, the the effort still going into the program, the the stuff they do, the interviews they do, the behind the scenes stuff they do. Um, there's lots there's still lots of good people involved in the club and there's still lots of good stuff coming out of the club yeah and it's important to remember that because i know you know we we have done our fair share of moaning and i'm not going to deny that we've had plenty of reason to and i don't think we we have uh, i don't think we've overstepped the line but um you know at the end of the day yeah there are there are good people up there they are trying their best um you know the people who are the people who are working at the grassroots level and i mean they're never usually you know in our crosshairs when we're when we're debating decisions or discussing performances but that's one thing that i suppose you know is important to maybe mention you know to broaden our perspectives out uh, beyond just what has been maybe a disappointing 
period of performances. Um, because beyond that, like we said last week, we've been here before. You know, we've been in the doldrums as a club before. We've had some grim times. We've had relegation. We've had periods in the first division. We've had times when it looked like we'd never get back out of the first division. But through it all, there's always somebody, you know, taking the reins of the club and trying to guide it in the right direction. There is always fans who are going to support the team. And there's always players out there who, regardless of how high or low our, our current fortunes might be, as long as there is 11 men giving honest endeavor with the crest on their chest and playing with pride, um, you know, the club will always trundle along. It'll always be there. And, you know, that's, that's something that you can grab hold of in times like these where really perhaps, you know, the season hasn't been quite what anybody would have wished it to be. That we do have that little spark that never quite goes out and we'll be hoping, you know, that spark can turn into a little bit of a, a flame of a run of form. And who knows? I mean, you know, football will always surprise you. It's been proven to be very unpredictable. Um, but whatever changes might be afoot on and off the field, I suppose, you know, we've seen again tonight, there are certainly personalities there who've been around the club for a long time that I think, you know, are still valuable around the place and we would like to see them stay. And I suppose now that we're at the midpoint of the season, the minds of the people running the club should be turning to that. And they hopefully should be learning the lessons of the first half of the season that, you know, radical swinging changes, which unsteady things, it's probably not a tactic that we want to repeat. So what we probably want to see is our, our quality players offered contracts, nailed down for the coming season and a plan developed to recruit the right personality, the right man to begin to rebuild the club's fortunes. And like I say, you know, the club itself, it's bigger than the team. If we get things right, who knows? By the time we get fans back into the stadium, everything could be feeling a little bit more optimistic. So on that uncharacteristically optimistic note uh we'll wrap it up for mid-season break uh we'll be back after the mid-season break to discuss our next game which will be at home to waterford so until then thanks for listening and we'll talk to you after the waterford game oh, <laughs> 